Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The officers are among the latest victims of an ongoing epidemic of gun violence in Chicago. This weekend alone, 86 people were shot and 13 killed. In July, the city recorded 461 shootings, nearly double the number from 2019, while murders increased by 139%. Mayhem in Chicago, bloodletting. We've uh, posted the map, the Chicago shooting map, at armstrongandgetty.com. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, so we, I don't remember what the numbers were that I had yesterday. Maybe those were the same numbers there. There were 70-some shootings over the weekend, 11 dead. I mean, just an amazing number. But then we got onto the topic of, are they all confined to a, a particular neighborhoods? And uh, you've seen the map. Does it look that way? They're most heavily clustered on the northwest side and, and the south side, which is not a surprise to anybody familiar with Chicago. Although, um, <clears throat> it's what's remarkable about the map is there are so many freaking shootings you really have to zoom in pretty far before you can see individual incidents otherwise it's just it's a quilt of of light blue and dark blue light blue being shooting and dark blue being fatal shootings um there's so many of them it like covers the whole map and you have to zoom in uh but it's it's shocking it's it's astonishing and it's just this year i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people being shot in chicago um and is it mostly gang violence like gangs in a turf war or something? Or? I couldn't give you a percentage. Uh, yeah, it, it probably is a majority that, although we got a nice note from a frequent visitor to Chicago. He doesn't live there, but... Um, I can't think of more than a couple of people I'd like to shoot. Well, right. A couple, and, most. And you're holding off so far. Yeah. Uh, but he points out that carjackings are really escalating downtown. Uh, there aren't nearly as many shootings like on a magnificent mile, Michigan Avenue, whatever, but there are lots and lots of carjackings. Anyway, a couple of uh, stories, and we're going to get back to Chicago in a second, but first I want to point out that Governor Kate Brown, the Oregon Democrat, signed a bill last month with little fanfare. In fact, it, it wasn't published till a couple of weeks if, after it was signed. They said it was a glitch, but it's believed that they are trying to keep it quiet. Here's what Oregon did. It dropped the requirement that high school students are proficient in reading, writing, or math before they graduate. Wow. You don't have to know how to read, write, or do any math to graduate in Oregon now. In other words, the diploma means nothing. All you have to do is show up in fog and mirror. What? Yeah. And listen to this. I love some of this reasoning. Did they give a... Okay. I was about to say, did they give a reason? And here you are about to give a reason. Our overarching theme for this segment is perhaps the... uh, What do they call it? The soft bigotry of low expectations. I would call it the the horrifically paternalistic, racist smothering of black American children with low expectations. Um Foundation for a Better Oregon said in a statement that the bill is intended to truly reflect what every student needs to thrive in the 21st century. Supporters of the bill insist that considering math and reading essential skills has been unfair and an unfair challenge for students who not do not test well, especially students of color. Man, if that isn't the bigotry of low expectations, I don't know what is. Listen to this. Charles Boyle, Deputy Communications Director from uh, Governor Brown's office. Uh, da, 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 da. He said the new standards for graduation, which are no standards, will help benefit the state's black, Latino, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. The Asians don't need your help. No, by the way, they uh, and they are they're going to go ahead and uh, learn math, whether you require it or not. 
because uh, their parents emphasize education. Um, this is one of those where I can't figure out if the people actually believe this crap or they're just pandering. I mean, are they just pandering and saying, look, we got a whole bunch of people in these communities that can't graduate high school. Our numbers are low. Right. Let's right. jack our numbers up by eliminating the qualification. Are they cynical like that? Or do they actually believe this, S, that they're sending people out in the world prepared for anything? I mean, you're not prepared for anything if you don't meet any requirements for graduating high school. Well, the Oregonian, which is practically Pravda, I mean, it's a way-left newspaper, wrote, Oregon schools were among the last in the country to reopen to in-person instruction during the pandemic. Our legislators should be focused on how to help students regain the ground they've lost after a year and a half of distance learning in hybrid instruction, not on lowering our standards. The the numbers are pretty stark. We've gone through them before many times over the years. People that don't graduate high school don't do very well. Oh, no, no. In general, I know there are exceptions. I've got a good friend who's one of the great exceptions to that. But um, but that's not the point. Overall, people that don't graduate high school, your 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 life results are terrible in general. And well, so, what Oregon is trying to do, which is a, an awful idea, is for a while, all these people will graduate from high school. Well, see, but that's what I was headed with. The idea that it's the certificate that allows you to succeed in life, that's what I'm talking about. Do these people actually believe that? Do they believe the piece of paper is the key to succeeding in life? Yes. Yeah. Well, well keep in mind they now. Can't, they can't be that stupid. Keep in mind, this is the equity crowd. If there is an unequal outcome, it's only because of racism. That's the only possible explanation. And so you eliminate the standards, you eliminate the racism. They're crazy. They're cultists. But that's what they believe. Which brings us to... An article I read uh, by Eli Steele, who I found out is the son of Shelby Steele, one of my intellectual heroes, a very, very smart uh, uh, historian, writer. He uh, is a black man and cares a great deal about black America. And Eli Steele is writing about how he was, he's a documentarian, and he was going to talk to Pastor Corey Brooks on the south side of Chicago to talk to him about some of the current arguments about race and critical race theory and that sort of thing, and what he thought of it as a man dealing with some of the roughest black neighborhoods in America. And it's an incredibly uh, revealing conversation. I'm looking at the clock. I tell you what, why don't we take a break on time for once in our lives and and come back and I'll tell you about... Feels weird. Feels kind of weird. Feels premature. I feel like I'm doing something wrong. But Eli Brooks' uh, conversation with... uh, I'm sorry, Eli Steele's conversation with Pastor Brooks is so interesting and so revealing and, and such an indictment of Kate Brown and the idiocies we were describing in Oregon. And it looks like we're going to have a big court showdown on these governors who are not allowing mask mandates. Uh, a couple of school districts uh, fighting that. We'll have that for you a little bit later. Also, text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Two of the biggest school districts in Texas have announced mask mandates defying the governor's orders. So we'll talk about that at the bottom. That's going to end up being a court thingy. Uh, We're talking about all the shootings in Chicago. This happened. This is being reported by the Chicago Sun-Times. 
So two Chicago police officers were shot during a traffic stop Saturday night, one fatally. After the shooting, the city's mayor, who's becoming quite the celebrity mayor, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, went to the hospital. The father of the critically injured officer, himself a retired Chicago cop, yelled at Mayor Lightfoot, according to reports, blaming her for what had happened to her son and the 29-year-old officer, Ella French, who was also shot. A person at the scene told the Chicago Sun-Times that Lightfoot handled it well, but afterwards someone said that she should next speak to more than the two dozen grieving officers nearby. She tried to approach them. They all turned their back on her. Right. Alderman Ray Lopez uh, posted pictures. Um, they turned the back on the mayor just as she has turned her back on the rank and file time and time again. Interesting. Trouble yeah. brewing. I'd say. Speaking of Chicago, Eli Brooks uh, wrote a, uh, wrote a, I'm sorry, Eli Steele wrote a great piece about visiting a Pastor Brooks at the New Beginnings Church in Chicago. And the pastor every day deals with gang members, senseless deaths, graduation ceremonies, the vengeful, the aspirational, new births, illiterate adults, newly released convicts, the hungry, overburdened single parents, wayward children, every imaginable human condition. The pastor wakes up each morning not knowing if the day will bring joy or tragedy or both, and yet he wakes up each morning. This guy is an on-the-front-lines battler for the souls of the people in his part of Chicago, which is almost entirely black. I told the pastor I thought of him as I watched elites battle each other elites over critical race theory in private schools and wealthy communities I'd never heard of before. Several writers argued that we should heed these elites, the wealthy professionals to the academics in Ivy Towers, because their children would run America one day. But there was a strangeness, a kind of disconnect to these battles. On one hand, the Elites opposing critical race theory and its sister constructs seem to have little idea that the battles they are fighting are rather old ones. On the other hand, the elites promoting these ideas in the name of what's best for blacks seemed blind to how far removed their beliefs are from the needs of the very people they claim to want to help. Pastor Brooks smiled with tired eyes. Sometimes the man on the bottom sees far, far more clearly than the man on the top. The pastor said that he wished these elites would experience the day-to-day reality on the south side. They would then discover that liberalism has not been our best friend. And the pastor spoke of liberalism not as a political ideology, but rather as an existential condition that coldly shapes one's life. And the pastor knew that many Americans fighting today's culture wars failed to realize that they are fighting an old enemy well known to blacks. Bad faith. And here's what he's talking about. It's a little intellectual, but I think you all can handle it. In the documentary, What Killed Michael Brown, my father, Shelby Steele, Eli writes, described this bad faith as faithlessness. He notes that racism in America has always made the classic struggle between good faith and bad faith much harder for blacks. How does a young boy on the South Side keep good faith in America when he is constantly told that he is oppressed, a victim of white supremacy, and that he needs outside forces to help him? This bad faith disbelieves in the power of blacks to make a life and disbelieves in America and her principles to the point that one often ends up giving up before even starting. Where does this bad faith come from? Ironically, much of it comes from post-60s liberalism, which was far more about white guilt than black development. Unlike classical liberalism, with its focus on principles like freedom and equality, post-60s liberalism derives its legitimacy from America's original sin, which was not slavery, but simply the use of race as a means to build power. There was a profound blindness to post-60s liberalism from the very beginning. It only saw black people symbolically, not 
as people like themselves. It failed to recognize the gradual upward progress that many blacks made in the first half of the 20th century. And here's where it really, really gets interesting to me. The pastor's eyes glowed as he recalled how Woodlawn and nearby communities like Bronzeville had doctors, dentists, businessmen, jazz musicians walking the streets, all black men and women in these neighborhoods. Many of these blacks, including my grandfather, bought homes for their largely intact families. These blacks possessed good faith, even as segregation reigned everywhere. Instead of extending this progress, post-60s liberalism ushered in an era of dependency and created for the first time a black underclass. Suddenly, many blacks found themselves in a world of housing projects, man-in-the-house rules, which has to do with who gets welfare and how much, racial preferences, school busing, and so on. After nearly 70 years of this liberalism, when one steps outside of the pastor's church, one sees a world of social services, failing schools, boarded-up homes, businesses owned by outsiders, and police cruisers sitting in the medians of streets. It is a world created by bad faith. Think about that transition. How How that neighborhood was full of black doctors, lawyers, musicians, owning their homes. I know. I read a lot about that. um, uh, One book I was reading about Louis Armstrong and when he traveled from Louisiana up to Chicago in the 20s and what the black neighborhoods and communities were like so much clearly more successful than uh, than today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that is interesting speaking as to what caused that. But how how do you change that? How do you fix that? Well, the pastor actually, he kind of gets into that, um, but that's a great example. Uh, because post-60s liberalism's power can only be sustained as long as America continues to be racist. There's an insistence that America has made no moral evolution because at its very core it is racist. Keeping in mind that black America was much more successful when there was much more racism because they were being given a good faith opportunity. It has developed an entirely new lexicon of oppression. Uh, uh, vocabulary of oppression to explain the present day struggles of many black people and who insist America repair these deficits, thereby perpetuating black dependency, bad faith and liberal progressive power. The white man that Pastor Brooks hears daily on the streets of the South Side has become white supremacists. The system or the man became systemic racism. White people became white privilege or white fragility. Acting white became merit is white supremacy. Racism is everywhere became critical race theory. All all these mantras lead to one end product, bad faith. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Perhaps the worst thing about bad faith is that it conditions us to show deference to race, the lowest of human qualities. That's And then he mentions a white man who would not even talk about it because he didn't want to get canceled. Um, he yielded to racial pressures and placed himself in the white box. He com- comforted himself with the lie that he had no choice. But one always has the freedom of choice, no matter how narrow the margin is. But what made his choice damaging was that he gave the forces behind post-60s liberalism exactly what they want, an unimpeded path to further deepen the reach of bad faith in our society. Uh, then there is one more thing. It is good faith that instills in us individual initiative, self-belief, delayed gratification, discipline, hope, and all the things that one needs to make a life of meaning. The stronger the individual makes oneself, the more of an asset that individual is to family, friends, and society at large. And that is why the path of good faith is the only option. And and as I was getting ready to leave, I asked the pastor how he felt about the fact that he would not get one dime of the billions of dollars 
pouring into the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry, the nation's leading pusher of bad faith. He can only shake his head and smile. I can't pay attention to none of that. I got too much work to do. Hmm. And, you know, that whole good faith thing with the individual initiative, self-belief, delayed gratification, discipline, hope, that sort of thing, that is, that's what I've been pitching my entire adult life and will continue to pitch. And I go back to Eli Steele saying, the post-60s liberals look at black America as a symbol, not as human beings, not as individual human beings. There can be no argument against what Eli Steele is talking about as it's the the path towards success and happiness for an individual human being initiative self belief delayed gratification discipline hope being the best parent and brother and sister you can be it's it's clearly true it's only if you make black america a weird symbolic single thing that you can make the progressive argument and i think it's incredibly damaging i think it has done 500 times more damage to black america than the ku klux klan could ever dream of doing amen rant over boy you fit that in with what you're talking about earlier about eliminating the standards for graduating high school for instance yeah wow i know it's tragic it's sickening I don't know how how that gets turned around, and even if you had the right way to turn it around, how long would it take? And what's so frustrating is a lot of the early 60s liberals looked at what they had done 10 years later and said, stop, this isn't working, this isn't working, and nobody would listen. So now that some school districts in Texas are mandating masks, what's going to happen? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yo, so I dig in those riffs, man. Oh, yeah. So I think I know the way things work now. So did you follow the whole um, guy runs onto a field at the Dodgers game and then the ball girls goes out and tackles the dude? Yeah, yeah, it's a good assist. I give her a half a tackle on it. So some of the uh, you know, some of the uh, security personnel were trying to tackle him and not having much success. And then the ball girl, uh, who is a college girl, she's not very old. She she's twenty four years old. She ran out on the field and tackled the dude. Well, now she is kind of gone. Uh, she's kind of having her moment as she's hot. So it has an Instagram page and like pictures that are her in bikinis and stuff like that. So she's become a thing. Um, and uh, attractive women who are effective tacklers do kind of turn me on. <laughs> Good in the open field. Hmm? As far as I can tell from social media, the first part of that story is all that's required. But you know, if the second part adds anything <laughs> no to it. No kidding. Well, when there are so few attractive women who are willing to take pictures but like, of themselves. I think I know the arc of these stories. So she's a 24-year-old senior at Cal State University pursuing a degree in deaf studies. That's kind of cool. Um, she enjoys snowboarding, partying in Vegas, and snapping selfies and hitting the beach with friends. Hence all the bikini shots on Instagram. Yes. So I think now that she's kind of a hero, she's like one day away from a video of her at a sorority party mouthing words to a rap song that have the N-word in them. 
Absolutely. Isn't that the way the arc of these things goes? Well, yeah, it's it's inevitable. And then she'll be torn down. She gets Ken boned. Yeah, she'll be torn down for something she didn't want to be propped up for in the first place. So I think that's the way those things go. Uh, Another celebrity story before we get to masks in schools, which I... I'm going to try to delay as long as I can, because I'm not sure I even want to talk about it. Uh, But something interesting has just happened. Val Kilmer. Do you know who Val Kilmer is, actor? He was Batman once. He played uh, lead singer. He was in Top Gun. Played lead singer of The Doors once. Wasn't that him? Was that him? Yeah. That was Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, he was Jim Morrison. Yep. Anyway, I was reading the other day about how he used to, like, go into um, deep depression like when the Oscar nominations came out and he didn't get nominated, like he'd be depressed for days. Wow. Not healthy. Smoked all the time. Uh, got throat cancer. Been hiding it from people. Had to have surgery. Lost his voice completely. This is really more a story about the amazing um, technology that we've got today. This is a like a computer thingy in his throat. How does that work, Michael? Um, he got together with a software company, and yeah, that's what they did. They basically recreated his voice from um, his uh, from movies and stuff that he's used, things that he said in the past. But it so comes... instead of the voice that sounds like this, right? They they had one that sounds like his. Okay, well let's hear it. I was struck by throat cancer. After getting treated, my voice, as I knew it, was taken away from me. People around me struggle to understand me when I'm talking. But despite all that, I still feel I'm the exact same person. Still the same creative soul. The soul that dreams ideas and stories constantly. But now I can express myself again. I can bring these dreams to you and show you this part of myself once more. A part that was never truly gone. So... Just hiding away. But so, does he walk around with some sort of voice box where he sounds like that, or is it only if he's hooked up to a computer? Or how does that work? I'm not exactly the, sure how that works. I, all I know is that was a sample of the uh-huh. of his new voice. But so that was taking his old voice. Yeah, and, they used old clips, uh-huh. you know, from his movies and TV, and I guess have put this all the vocabulary together. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're we're familiar with that technology. Um, uh, there aren't specifics on the machine, what it looks like and, and how it works precisely. You know what I struggle with, and this makes me a moron? Uh, man, and it's it's whether people, uh, English isn't their first language, so they struggle with speaking in English, or they've got, uh, you know, the throat cancer thing where you're talking out the box, or anything else where their voice is, me, I have to make myself remember their minds are fine. They're just like you. It's just the words are coming out differently. Mm-hmm. And I have to make myself remember that because I just, I, I, I don't know. I got a problem with that. I always assume like, you know, I need to be extra especially careful of this person because they barely have their wits together. No, it's just their voice or their right. ability to speak English or whatever. Everything else yeah, is I- normal and fine. We both did some fundraising for the American Stroke Association. I played a bunch of rounds of golf with uh, folks who were victims of stroke, and um, you had to remind yourself constantly that the ideas are fully formed in their heads. Yeah, uh, they are. They are intellectually your equal. They're just having trouble getting the verbal center to generate the right words. Yeah, intellectually, you're, you don't have to talk slower or have no. simpler concepts or anything like that. No, everything's yeah. I got to yeah. remind myself that because I'm not very smart. Um, I don't know how this is going to turn out legally. So there's two states, Florida and Texas, where the governors have said it's against the law now. They've made it against the law 
for the schools to mandate masks. Okay, an anti-mandate mandate. And a judge <laughs> may rule against the anti-mandate mandate, and then it will be overturned. It will be and stayed. And then it will be completely It will be confused. stayed by a judge which overturns the anti-vaxxing mandate mask, upholding... Hmm. Uh, so, but now this has happened in Texas. The two biggest school, two of the biggest school districts, the biggest one in Dallas and the fifth the biggest one in Austin, Austin being super liberal area and probably a liberal area of Dallas also, um, I'm guessing, uh, they are imposing mask requirements at the school, defying the governor's order. I don't, it can, does that even work? If it's against the school districts can't make their own laws. No, but they, they can force a court case, essentially. F- but, okay, yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. Because the school district can't say, uh, you now need to, uh, your drinking age is 15. The, the school district can't say that. <laughs> well, no, no, uh, I think it's it's a mark of the, the qualities of our society that a school district thinks this is a BS law and it's, it's illegal or unconstitutional or whatever. So they're going to say, all right, we're saying everybody in masks, and then it goes to the courts to decide, as opposed to, like in Afghanistan, school district tries that. The local warlord would send guys in and horses and kill everybody with swords. And so, you know, at least uh, we settle our disputes this way. The order begins today, requiring all students, staff, and visitors to wear a face mask while at any of the district's 230 schools. That's in the Dallas area. So uh, what have you heard about the constitutionality, legality of the governor saying the school districts can't have a mask mandate? I, I'm completely at sea. It has to do with Texas law and their constitution, I suppose. I, I don't know. So I reached out to someone, I will keep it to uh, secret because I didn't ask for their permission, but I reached out to someone we know here on the show in Florida. I said, how are you feeling about the gov? I just left it open area. And this person responded, I think he's the only governor in the country who remotely understands the Constitution and what its purpose is. I wish he would remain governor here forever and not run for president. Because DeSantis is probably going to run for president. I think we all understand which one plays a more important role in our lives. I'd say I'm very proud of who Floridians now call Daddy Ron DeSantis or Ron DeSantis or Daddy D, as we refer to him. I didn't know that. Hmm. I think Americans like seeing someone truly fight for them. I know my family does. Daddy D. People who I, agree with Ron DeSantis call him that. I'm guessing the people that don't agree with him don't call him that. Yeah, the lefty media is taking great delight in pointing out that his poll numbers have declined and in a hypothetical re-election, blah, blah, blah. He's actually trailing Charlie Crist, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy those conversations, people who have those. Yeah, yeah. But back to your question, I'm, I'm just trying to think about, I don't know what Texas law is. I'm thinking about what it ought to be. I don't know that the governor ought to be decreeing that school districts can't take the measures they see fit, even if I disagree with them. I just, I generally default to local is better. Well, right. In a giant state like Texas, I'm not sure the governor deciding what's best for each school district is much better than the federal government deciding it. Yeah. Well, I you know what are your thoughts? Text line four one five two nine five KFTC, and try not to let your you know what you want rule your thinking. 
Oh, I'm a big fan of Greg Abbott. I'm a good, a big fan of the way he governs. I get why he's doing this because he thinks the teachers' unions have taken control of the schools and are sure. screwing them up and screwing the kids. So I have a great deal of sympathy for his position. I'm just trying to noodle it through honestly, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. And as far as Florida keeping Florida mostly open while California was mostly closed. And ending up with the same result in oh. terms of COVID? I mean, yeah, there's a lot to like there, but I'm not it, sure that- why if COVID is ravaging your county, your local school district can't say, hey, let's throw on masks at school. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been meaning to mention this the whole show. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Florida Department of Health took to Twitter yesterday to ask the CDC to please update their COVID-19 case tracker for the state because it incorrectly combined multiple days into one, Ah. which made the Sunday daily case count look like an explosion to the state's worst ever. I heard the story 26 times about the exploding cases in Florida. Ron DeSantis is a murderer. He ought to be called Governor Death. Look at Florida. Stupid, stupid, liberty-loving Florida. The department says it followed the CDC's guidelines for reporting cases. The CDC reported 28,317 new cases on Sunday, which would make the most confirmed infections in one day in the state since the beginning of the whole thing. Multiple media organizations picked up on the number. Yeah, all of them. Well, the uh, Florida <clears throat> health people said, wrong again. The number of cases released for Florida is incorrect. They combined multiple days into one. We anticipate CDC will correct the record. The health department said there were 15,000 cases on Sunday, not 28,000. Well, the three day average, the three day average is 18,795, which is a significant sure. number of cases. On the other hand, let's talk hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, there has been an increase in hospitalizations and deaths, but it's much, much more modest than the number in uh, in cases. What will so, rem- nice job, CDC. What will remain to be seen is if the Delta starts to go through states where they are wearing masks a lot more, because it just does. It just spreads yeah. that easily, and the mask thing didn't have much to do with it at all, which I'm not going to be the least bit surprised if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, I'm not ready to throw up my hands and give up on trying to figure out how to deal with this thing, but I just noticed new travel restrictions uh, that the U.S. government has put in place, including, two. who's the great country? They've done the best. They've been the model. They're disciplined. They're smart. They're vaccinated. Israel. We're now limiting travel. Is it to or from Israel because they got so many freaking COVID cases in Israel right mm. now? So that makes you think, you know, what are you going to do? Is there anything we can do? Uh, let's see. I think there was one more. Th- ah, I lost it. I was going to tell you one more thing on this topic, but meh, that's enough. The COVID will be here tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly will be. Um... Oh, oh, we got this email from a uh, high school band director in Chicagoland. They're mandating masks in his school. So in preparation for masked band practice, He'll be asking the school to provide me a couple boxes of surgical masks so I can cut slits so we can play through the slits but still wear masks. Yeah, I was going to say, how would I have played my trumpet with a mask on? Well, probably about as well as I played it without a mask on. (laughs) You would have been doing the world a favor. I was not good at it. Yeah. You know why? Because I never practiced. That's why I was no good at it. Now, I, on the other hand, practiced hard and was an award-winning trombonist. Michael, do we have a sample of my work still in the system? (laughs) I mean, it's one of our classic clips. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps not. Yeah, well, we'll come across it here. There you go.
benefit from a metronome? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I don't see your point. Uh, a couple of quick things. No, we got to take a break. We got to take a break. I don't have time. Yes, for we quick do. Things. Clearly, no quick things. Marjorie, no quick things. No slow things. No medium things. Just shut up. Britney Spears. Britney Spears update. Marjorie Taylor Green update. Oh Lord. Right. She chaps my ass. <laughs> All on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Britney Spears' update is she was rebuffed in efforts to speed up tossing her father off the conservatorship in a tactical victory for her father in Los Angeles Superior Court. The judge denied the request by the one-time Princess of Pop, it says here, uh, and her lawyer. Um, So I don't know what's going on there. You know what I've never heard anybody say? Her poor dad is just busting his butt to try to do what's right for that poor girl and help her. Because she's a nut. Right. I've no, never heard anybody even there. express nah. that. Yeah, I, I was willing to give that a little air, but still, you got to you got to realize she's he's the dad that had his seventeen year old in schoolgirl outfits and high heels as a child making mm-hmm. music, and mm-hmm. he had some role in that. He had yeah. to have a role in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is you know part of what screwed up her life. Uh, a sports note: they're they're the most expensive baseball games ever. Are the Field of Dreams games, Alex? What are those? So the Field of Dreams games are a game between the Yankees and the White Sox that'll be played at the Field of Dreams set in Dyersville, Iowa, which built, I've been to. Have you been there? Yeah, well, my whole family's from Iowa, so it's not that extraordinary. Very nice. So it's built into the cornfields, like Kevin Cosner's character did on the movie Field of Dreams. The Yankees and the White Sox will be wearing those throwback jerseys oh, cool. that they wore from the oh, time. That's fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they'll be playing a game out there. Uh, I think they were going to do it last year. Obviously got delayed because of COVID. Joe's always talking about the dead ball era. That's what they need to bring back. Is just, oh, yeah. Just oh, yeah. Come on. Come soft, soft ball with some feathers in it, and you just hit uh, everybody it. Everybody with a funky five-fingered glove. And, and they need to yeah. run really fast and throw really fast like those old videos. I need, right. I need Bugs exactly. Bunny out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, come on. Give me the old pepper. So I'm guessing there's fairly limited seating there, and that's why it's expensive? Or I something? think it's very limited seating. The game will be broadcast on Fox so everyone can see it, but they cool. only look like they have like 2,000, 4,000 seats. Ah, uh, and yeah, and you want to be, if you're a real baseball fan, you want to be there, so. And it's the first, and it's the Yankees. And, and you weren't quite important enough to get to go to Barack Obama's birthday party, <laughs> but you can afford this ticket so you can brag to your friends. Thank you, Alex. Yes, sir. That's a good one. Seems like I had one more thing I want to throw in, but I don't remember what it was. I'll remember yeah. it later. Well, I just got a text that this is fabulous. So uh, Judy and I, we uh, this is a couple of COVID supply chain stories. First of all, I was reading about this uh, wing restaurant in Katati, California. It's Bay Area. And super crazy popular wings restaurant. Locally owned, not a chain or anything. Guy started as a food truck. Everybody loved it. He grew. He got it. Now there's been such a shortage of chicken wings, to-go containers, uh, cooking oil. He can't get anything, including employees. He's just shut his, his restaurant. They're done. They're not going to be How in business anymore. frustrating would that be? It's just so crazy. And then I just got a text from Judy. We ordered furniture for our living room in March. 
Yeah, I've heard lots and, of furniture stories from people like this. Yes. Yeah, well, so and a, we got we got the table like in late June or something like that. So there's just a round table sitting in our living room. It's going to be like a game room, a fun room, not a old lady sitting around having tea from a living room. But anyway, so there's like just the been nothing but from a table the ceiling, in there. like that kind of funner. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that stuff, bondage gear, sure. Um, <laughs> but so there's just been a table sitting in the middle with no chairs. So we're super excited uh, that the chairs were going to get delivered today. I just got a text from Judy. Two of them are broken. So I guess we have two chairs till, I don't know, November, January, the year 2026. We're never going to have any freaking chairs. And we still have no dining room table. We got we just got those chairs. So now we got a table with no chairs in the living room and chairs with no table in the dining room. It's been six months. Grocery store I go to is still regularly out of stuff in a way that never has happened in my life. Yeah, I know. I mean, and this I'm, is not out about woe is me. I don't have a dining room set. I don't particularly care. It's just the, 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 the shake up to the world economy and the fact that it is still messed up is, is extraordinary. And how much of it was government imposed? And if you, government hadn't imposed various things, uh, how much more quickly would things have gotten back to normal? I don't know. And how many trillions of dollars in commerce are being lost? And let's get back to the Chinese Communist Party who covered it up as aggressively as they could in the early days and caused all this damage. Never forget. So a bunch of doctors in America that are supposed to look out for the best interests of your little children are not even allowing skeptics, some of them backed up by science, who aren't quite on board with the whole trans treatment for little kids thing. Oh, boy. So troubling. Yeah, we will tell you this in Hour 4. If you don't get Hour 4, you can go to armstrongandgetty.com to pick up the podcast and listen any hour you want. It's just fantastic. Or pick at your local radio station. Accuse them of racism. I don't know. Do something. Pick it? Pick it. Okay. March, chant. No justice, no peace. Armstrong and Getty.